0: Psalm 81-7 Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, before, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up your might and come save us. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: All right. I'll just repeat it. Ramon. Ramon. That was beautiful. Praise, right? That's good. That's good. Emmy, thank you, girl. Good job reading. Really good job, girl. All right. So... uh, Yesterday, uh, I was sitting at a table, lunch table, with uh, a Ukrainian who teaches at Caltech, and uh, the table was asking him questions. Uh, And uh, he told us that, you know, his brother and dad and family are still in the west part of Ukraine. And I I was struck by uh, his just matter-of-factness, not cold, just matter-of-factness in contrast to a lot of the hand-wringing around the table. Uh, and uh, so one of, the, one of the questions that, that I asked, I said, uh, what, what would you love to see the West do, just as a re- Ukrainian? Um, I thought it was a great question. Uh, but uh, he said, um, you know, that's interesting. He said, that's a Western superpower question. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I thought the same thing, too, privately. Um, he said, that's a politician question. Uh, he, he said, I'm, sh- I'm unsure, actually he said, uh, there's a calculation that I would love to see happen. And he said, whatever it is, the calculation is um, what is going to cause the most amount of real disturbance for the common person, a real disturbance in the status quo. And he said, whatever it goes, right? Russia in power with a puppet leader or the West, like whatever it is. Uh, And he said, it's a calculation that I would like to see happen that, um, and here, here's his phrase, I wrote it down, a calculation of meager restoration of normalcy. Now, that's a question for Westerners who are not in a war as well. Now, uh, it's not melodrama, but many of us have, yes, survived the last two years, um, and I am not comparing the pandemic to, to war. And uh, some of us have been through things, not the pandemic in the last two years, that are also dark. Uh, but there's been a cost. Uh, um, life and rhythms and interactions have been altered and emotional states have been changed. And I can't remember a time just as a pastor uh, talking to so many who are truly depressed and beat down and low and lethargic of mind, soul, and filled with anxiety. Um, so so that's that's real. And in... There is this general sense that we are in a time of Lent, a time of Lent. Uh, We have been in in that, and so have our friends. Our friends have been in a time of Lent, and the wider culture as well. Uh, There is uh, something that's running through our heads of of getting back to normal, and it's a calculation. What do we do to restore a meager... Restoration of normalcy. What do we do to get that? Um, Psalm 80 gets in there. It's in that space. This is a Lenten psalm. If you are in a space of gray, if you are in a space of waiting and Lent, this is Psalm 80. Psalm 80 is your psalm. It is for times of gray. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to talk about what the psalmist um, says Lent feels like. All right, so we'll look at that. Uh, That's the shape of where we're going tonight. Um, And then there's a repeated request like a refrain, like a chorus in Psalm 80. And we only read the first seven verses, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna work through uh, much of it. So it's in that online bulletin or um, in your Bible as well, your printed version. And then the third thing we're gonna look at is repentance as result, not as a catalyst. Repentance as a result. And that's, that'll be the last thing we touch on. Okay, so let's look at what Lent feels like to the psalmist. And this is in verses one and two. Um, He says, uh, stir up your might. Stir up your might. Here's the implication. Um, We've begun to think that you're taking a breather, God. You're sitting back. You're not stirring, and we're asking you to stir up. So Lent feels like God is not stirring because the petition is, would you stir up? There's no action, there's no... That's how Lent feels like there's... Maybe, maybe I'm in a space where I haven't really moved this much. I have, the ball hasn't pushed forward in my soul and mind and heart the last couple years. Here's what else it feels like. Verse four. How long will you be angry? This is interesting because it's attached to people's prayers. And here's the, here it is. Is the silence of God to the people's prayers is interpreted as one thing. He must be mad at me. He must be mad at us. Uh, that's what Lenten feels like. Oh, what, what if God is actually kind of mad at me? Uh, but there's more, uh, verse five, and this is, this is interesting that the psalmist says this, he plays on when the, the Israelites Um, had manna and bread for provision, and he says this, you've given us tears. Not bread, you've given us tears. We've had pints of tears. Thanks for that, God. Can we talk to God this way? The psalmist does. We know you've Given us tears. Verse six. There's another little question. Th- there's almost a sneaking suspicion. Am I the joke? Am I the punch? Am I the cosmic punchline? You know, Ray Liotta, Goodfellas. Am Am I a, am I a clown to you? Like, like this is what the psalmist is saying. Like, it is maybe, maybe there's something I haven't seen. And then in verse six, um, the object of general scorn, and this is this is how we get get at it, is um, yes, the people of Israel. But if we're going to take, if if the nations are laughing at the little nation of Israel, what they're saying is you and your big exclusive god isn't that tough like you should tone down the rhetoric about how great your god is Th- this is what he's saying uh, but 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 you feel that and some of my neighbors have voiced it in this way is that you have the same problems as i do right well the, the implication is like Maybe your God's not that much bigger than anything else. Then verses 8 through 13. This is what Linton feels like. It records, like it looks back in history, and it says, hey, we remember when you did this big thing. And it uses this little imagery. Like you, got, you, you took a clipping from uh, a, a, a vine, like a vineyard vine, a grape vine. You took a clipping out of Egypt and somehow you made it survive and you planted it and it grew roots and all of these great things started to happen with the people of Israel. You did this thing. It's like a metaphor, a picture for the people of Israel who were just this little tiny vine and you did this big thing and you made them something. Um, uh, uh, Dr. Pai uh, gave me um, a clipping from the San Gabriel Mission vineyard that Junipero Serra brought in 1771. It was just a little potted offshoot of the original vine that they have there at the Mission in San Gabriel. Uh, and there it is on the Leon patio. And <laughs> we've been trying to keep it alive. <laughs> Vegas odds are against that happening at the Leon household, okay? Um, but it's, hey, a couple years, it's still there. It remains with underwatering and with little kids trampling and throwing balls and uh, all sorts of, not- and getting it, having it tipped over. It's still surviving. Uh, it's laughable how it's able to survive. And this is, this is, if you look at the nation of Israel, if, and you extend back into ancient history, it is unbelievable that this little, not superpower, has survived. It's unbelievable. Like, how did, you, how did you make it through that? And this is what the psalmist is doing, is you did this amazing thing, and we see it. That's our history. You did this amazing thing, and this little thing star- survived and started to grow. It had roots that went to the coastline. That's, that's the imagery that he has. And then he says this, and then boom. The rug got pulled. See, see, we can have parallels here. I know that's the ancient people of Israel, but you can have personal paral- parallels here. It's like, look, God has done this amazing thing, and, and I thought he was making me strong for something, like capable and knowledgeable, and, and, and he was building me up or my family up or my marriage up, and then boom! What? Like didn't it, it crashes somehow. This is the result, and this is verse thirteen, and this is a picture that um, uh, uh, every single commentator that I read this past week wouldn't shut up about verse thirteen. And I say that in the most positive way you can say wouldn't shut up. Okay, everyone they they look at this picture and this superpower Babylon has been able to come into this little nation and take and do whatever it wants. And here's, and here's the picture. The picture is this feral, wild boar that's come in from the, the woods or the wild and is now going through an open fence and is going crazy inside a vineyard. And it's smashing everything and eating everything. It's just going crazy. Um, I, I, I watched this uh, show called Baskets. And it's with Zach Galifianakis, and it's, it's ludicrous, right? Uh, but, but he is a classically trained clown in France, and he's come back to his hometown in Bakersfield to try to get work as a classically trained clown. And he only found work at the rodeo. He runs into, his name is Chip, and he runs into a, a woman named Martha. And Martha is a compassionate soul, and she's always saving strays, including a guy like Chip, and so, but she she gets she finds a literal stray, and it's this adorable-looking animal, and it looks like a dog, and she brings it home because she has so much compassion, and she she gets it set up in a nice little, I don't know, bassinet thing, and then she leaves for work, and she comes back from work, and um, this this cute, adorable animal has just shredded her apartment. Furniture, lights everywhere, food. It's just unrecognizable. And she takes it in and she finds out it's not a dog. Here's the gag. It's a coyote. Um, that's a Psalm 80 picture is this wild animal got into your pretty sweet curated life and tore it to shreds. Um, the the best vineyards, um, the best vineyards, they take about five years to get prime fruit. You can get some prime fruit like in four years, whatever, but it takes a while. And then um, uh, uh, the very best, the very best, right? They extend 15, 20, 25, 30. Like it it becomes a family vineyard, right? When you read the Old Testament about storehouses and vineyards that are growing up. And in the Old Testament, when the armies roll in, what do they do? Well, they, they completely burn the crops in the storehouses, right? So you have nothing for the winter or famine, and they just burn vineyards. They just raise them to the ground. So you can get that. I know we don't live in a rural setting, but you can get, you're like, whoa, what took years to manicure gets leveled when a wild animal. Like Babylon or little, does whatever it wants. That's a feeling of Lent, and some of us have felt that. Like you're like, I had this pretty great life, and it got shredded. That's a Psalm 80, what Lent feels like, right? Feels like a coyote or wild boar, a possibly unresponsive God who's not listening to you who's torn up a perfectly good life with prayers, Psalm 80 says. Thanks. All right, that's a Lent vibe that Psalm 80 is giving us. But it does have a catchy refrain, has a catchy refrain in chorus. Uh, I I can walk around the house and there are refrains that I remember. Sorry, Miss Jackson. Is that Outcast? I didn't even look it up. That's all I know. And I'll be walking around saying that over and over, and Melissa will be like, do you know any other part of the lyrics? Do you know any other part of the song? Nope. Sorry, Ms. Jackson. <laughs> I love it. You guys are great. Um, I'm not much of a Lady Gaga fan. I'm really not. Uh. But I saw that movie, A Star Is Born. Man.
0: I'm a thought baby, watches a
1: David. Woo! I remember that part. I don't know any other part of the song. My kids hate that I just did that. Hate it. I'm sorry. But this is the powerful thing, is refrains and choruses are what you remember. They're the earworms that you remember when you can't remember anything else. That's why this refrain that we get in Psalm, one, Psalm 80 is huge. Here's the earworm from Psalm 80, and David punches this chorus, and I like to imagine like he had this awesome, catchy, hooky, like, lute harp jam with it. Here it is, it's Psalm 80, verse seven, and it's repeated. Now, I think our translation says, uh, restore us, O Lord. That is a really beautiful translation, not bad. We shouldn't fight against it. But I think a better one that captures what the Hebrew is getting at is it's rotational in aspect. It's saying, um, turn us again. Turn us again. It, it, it's like, uh, you, you who, you who, you've been consumed with, you've been focused on, you've, you, you, you have all your attentions on, you who, over here. It's repentance of the scriptures. That's what it is. Now, um, this is not, I'm going to just tell you this Psalm 80 is not the repentance of popular conception. This is popular conception. You better say you're sorry and grovel before God, you filthy animal. That's, that's repentance of popular conception. Um, I, I've got three things here. All right, I used to uh, minister in a church next to a college campus, and every year, these, these shouters, these ministers would come on campus, and students would text me, like, you have to come down here. Because they would literally shout. They'd shout at the girls, at the guys. They would call them names and say, you are going to hell. You need to repent. And the names that they were calling them were way worse than filthy animal." I went to the Chinese parade when it was open, not like nine, not in the last two years, but here in L.A., and, and it riles me to get the megaphone people on the corner. You are going to burn in hell with no context. Repent, repent, the end is near. With no context, repent, and or you'll die, you filthy end. That's, that's what's coming across. Or have you been at the beach, Huntington, whatever, Santa Monica, or whatever, and then they cruise the beach, repent. Repent, you sinner. True in another context, but this is a popular conception of what repentance is. Repent, you filthy animal. Say you're sorry, you filthy animal. Like, look, scriptural repentance is equally forceful and yet more wonderful. Scriptural repentance, especially what we see with this rotational aspect, is this. You have been enamored with something. I don't know what it is. But it has caught the light of your eye and your heart, and you've been staring and chasing after it and calling it your precious. And somebody, a person, turns your head and shows you something more wonderful. It's like a five-year-old kid standing in front of like a, a fire hydrant, you know, down here, of course, and just been like, what is this thing? This is great. And the, and the dad or parent, adult figure, turns their chin and makes them look at a skyscraper. Oh, you think that's great? Let's check that out. Um, I, I read this recently. With uh, Kathleen Norris wrote this. She said, "Repentance is not a popular word these days, but I believe that any of us recognize it when it strikes us in the gut. Repentance is coming to our senses, seeing suddenly what we've done that we might not have done, or recognizing that the problem is not in what we do, but in what we've become." Do you guys feel that, that, that? I feel that, like from this past couple years, it's like, oh man, I thought I was, I thought I was better, I thought I was stronger than I actually. I, uh, I can't. Uh, I've been staring somewhere else. Turn me again, turn me again. This is in that refrain. This is in that refrain. Um, the second thing that's in that refrain, it says, it says this in Psalm eighty-seven and other places. Um, it, it says, "We want your, your, we want your face to shine on us again." I know you've may have heard that. That's kind of a churchy phrase, um, and, and so we might gloss over it. So, so yes, think Moses' face shining when he goes. Um, you know, up Mount Sinai. Yes, think Jesus at the Transfiguration. Yes, we think that. But 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 this is what we see in, in scriptures. I think that that gets this. It is a it is a face beaming with joy and approval. It it lets us know how pumped the person is to know us and be around us. It's not it's not like. It's not like the look of grudging acceptance. It, it, it's, the, it's the difference if like I could wake up every morning and I could wake up my, my son Emma or my daughter, I could say, son, daughter, you are my son, you are my daughter. Did you know that I love you? I love you. That's, that's one good thing. It's great, that's not a bad thing. Or... It's like me grabbing my son and putting my stubble in his neck against his laughing protests. Uh, Right? Like, is the technical bet? You are my son, I love you. And one is, I have a face beaming with joy for who you are. And this this is what the psalmist is saying is, Show us your joy in me, because I'm doubting that. I'm doubting. It would do wonders for me if I knew that, like, you were beaming for me. That would do wonders for my heart. Third part of that refrain, uh, refrain is this um, uh, it says, uh, Whenever you see the hosts of heaven or the Lord of hosts, it's talking angels. Now, I have to disabuse you of something. We also have popular conceptions of angels. Um, One is uh, the precious moments variety. And um, I kind of throw up in my mouth. Like, I I don't get it. They're cute, they're adorable, big eyes. I don't get the diaper thing, the little wings. Sometimes they have a little wagon and a puppy. This one is the, 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 praying, the praying precious moments angel. That, that's one variety that we have. Another popular conception is the guardian angel. Don't Google guardian angel and go click on images. Guaranteeing that you will do this thing. Um, sad, fuzzy, glowing lights, giving out hugs, kitschy for greeting cards, problem. Just absolute problem. Uh, Let me just... You know what happens when angels show up in the scriptures? Uh, Does this sound familiar to you? And and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were filled with great fear. Um, More often than that, scared, trembling, not precious moments. Can you imagine that? Levi... I got to tell you about this time I was in the pasture, and I experienced a precious moment. Would that, there were hosts surrounded me, and lo, verily, the moment of precious was upon me. No. Not, the angels are not giving out free hugs and sweet treats. They're just not. They're tough, and they've been granted powers to carry out the will of their commander. That's an angel. Uh, In this Psalm 80 earworm refrain, we get this over and over. Turn us again. Rotate me from my obsession to a new obsession. Rotate me. We get that over and over. Show me your beaming joy in me because I'm doubting it. Three, what is that? bring your frightening crew of beings that have the power to enact things on my behalf. That's a refrain. I'm off the deep end. Like, that's a refrain. That's an earworm for when the world is gray and the world is lent. Okay. Most of us, Probably at some point or another, we're going to look at repentance as a result, not as a catalyst. So most of us probably at some point um, thought that repentance was my doorway. Like, it's kind of the first thing I do to get to the really beautiful things of God. But I've got to do that thing before I get to this wonderful golden apple or whatever. Like, we think, it's, we think it's a catalyst. Like, I will repent, and then God will do this great thing for me. And that's a popular conception. Is, is, is But I'm going to tell you is that repentance is actually a result of God working in and for you. It's not the catalyst to make him work for you. Like some puppet God. Who wants to worship a God that's your puppet? No, I don't. That's not the scriptures, it's not Psalm 80. The psalm finishes in such a strange way. It talks about, it says, I need you to do, do something for your son, do something for the son of man. And it starts to say these things. What? You've made strong for yourself. It, it, do something for the son of man this man that you've made strong for us and for yourself, and then we won't turn back from you and you'll give us life and we'll call upon your name. Turn us again, O Lord of hosts, let your face shine that we may be saved. All right, this is what I think is incredible is the psalmist is asking something to be done for God's right-hand man for the benefit of his people and himself. And here's the incredible thing. Instead of strength, he made his son weak. He let his son be scorned, be mocked, be the cosmic joke and the cosmic punchline. And if that's true, we won't totally turn our back on you. Now, how is that? Because what? The father turned his back on his own son. For your advantage and for my advantage. He put all of his, you're doubting, Oh, is he mad at me? Is he mad at me? I think you're mad at me. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm convinced that you put all of the mad on your son. And I know that you just have beaming joy for me because that's true. Oh, we won't turn from you then. That's our hope. I don't berate you and wheedle with you to repent. No, it's that he underwent all of the gray and all of the lent and produced people that he turns to himself over and over again. Turn us again to you, turn us again to you, turn us again to you, let's pray. Our Father and our God, Uh, bring about that sweet, sweet repentance (laughs) that's a fruit of who you are and what you do for us based on Jesus alone. In Jesus' name, amen.